beloved listeners of Almost Familiar. It's good to be with you for our first episode of 2023. My name's Elizabeth. I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Wes, and we are the co-hosts of Almost Familiar, a podcast that examines electronic music and festival culture through stories and conversations. And I'm sure that this is on many of your minds and heavy in many of your hearts, but over the last week, we have recently learned of the disappearance and presumed death of a beloved member of a beloved band in this scene, Lotus, Chuck and Charlie Morris. Yeah, um, definitely just sharing in the sentiment of just feeling very heavy hearted this week with that news. Um, you know, I think for a lot of us, um, Lotus was one of those bands that really, really uh, tapped into something very special that you don't see a lot of bands tap into. And just, I know for me, you know, seeing them for about 10 years have just had really wonderful experiences with them and their music and their fans. And, you know, just, it's absolutely heartbreaking. Um, I've been lucky enough to work with Lotus on several occasions in Syracuse. And Chuck especially was one of those guys that he was just as vibrant off stage as he was on stage. And I just, when I think of him, I picture his smiling face and, you know, it's just unbelievably devastating to have such a presence just to be gone and especially for his son to be with him um, you know just my heart goes out to the lotus community the lotus family um something we're going to put in the show notes for this episode is gofundme going to the family so if you are in a position to donate um you know they could really use your support just because as of now uh, the bodies have not been recovered and it could take up to five years for any life insurance to come to the family so Um, You know, it's just one way we can support, you know, and other ways you can support is obviously just being there for people who are affected by this. Um, You know, loss is never easy. Grief is a very heavy feeling um, for all of us, you know, and I think at some point, unfortunately, um, we're all going to experience grief. And in the shared experience of our reality, I think the only way to really get through grief is to get through it with other people um, and obviously take time for yourself, um, reflect and just know that those people who aren't here with us anymore, um, you know, they don't want to see us sad, you know, so definitely take the time to feel it and to carry them in honor. Um, and something I wanted to read was an actual quote um, from Mike Rempel, one of the original guitarists of Lotus, and I just thought it was really beautiful. And he says, at this moment, when accepting the reality of your disappearance feels impossible, I want to honor you by becoming more fully alive, more wild, more innocent, and more loving. My grief is so immense, I could cry a river of tears. I choose to feel it fully, and in doing so, I feel more here, more fully human, and more in touch with what matters most in this short life. In my love for you, I recognize my love for all life, and my love for you will never diminish no matter how this thing turns out. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing your reflections on grief and for for reading that excerpt from that really powerful letter. I think I think we often associate grief with a sad feeling and it and it is, but I I've been thinking lately just with processing this and with processing you know other loss in my in my life just like that grief is in some ways a reflection of like the the happiness that we experienced from someone's presence or from a relationship or from, from something. Do you, do you feel similarly about that? A hundred percent. 
I'm actually myself dealing with some grief um, in the sense that I lost my grandfather recently, and he was a very big figure in my life, um, especially just because he was my father's father. And you know, having grown up without my father, I spent a lot of time here in Rochester with my grandparents, who you know are very, very close to me. And yeah, that that grief you feel—it's uh, such a double-edged sword because it's really sad, but. The reason it's sad is because at one point there was so much love. And that's what grief feels like to me, is like just a really true extension of love. Because it hurts to lose those people that you care about. And, you know, with my grandfather being gone, it was kind of felt like a closing chapter after having lost my grandparents or my grandma two years ago. But, you know, I know he's well. I know he's happy. He wanted to be with my grandma. He wanted to be with my father. And I take a lot of comfort and solace in the fact that knowing they are all together and it was kind of a, a nice thing with grief is, you know, you could kind of see it's coming, which you don't always, you know, in the case of Charlie and Chuck, um, sometimes your time is called sooner than it should be. And it's really hard. Um, I feel like there's not a lot of closure that people get in that sense. So, you know, something I really want to um, stress and acknowledge is that we just need to be all kind with each other and to tell the people that you love that you love them as much as you can, because you just never know. Yeah, we can always hope for the best, but um, my friends know that I am very heavy on the I love yous, um, almost annoyingly so, but, you know, I just know that, you know, I never know, and if anything were to ever happen to me or to any of my people, I would just, I want them to know how much I care about them, and that I love them, and I love you guys. Um, so, listener, you know, if you are feeling grief, or if you've ever felt grief, just know that you're not alone. Um, I'm thinking of you, and we will get through this, and we will continue to live a rich and full life in honor of those who no longer can. Again, so eloquently said, and I love you so much, Wes. I love you so much, Elizabeth. Oh. Mm. Life is so precious. It really is. It really is. I'm, I'm really thankful to have this life and to share it with so many wonderful people, and you know, in, in talking about giving people their roses or giving them their, their credit, you know, I'm really excited about today's episode. And I know it feels probably strange if you're new to this podcast, you're like, God damn, these people are depressing as fuck. But <laughs> we just wanted to acknowledge that and want to give much love to the one and only Park Breezy, who is our guest today. And, you know, when I think of someone who's just doing things the right way, I think of Parker um, I think of the All Low label, which he is one of the co-founders of here in Denver. And this has been an interview. It's been a long time coming. You know, we've talked to feel, we've talked to thought process, and it was a real treat to sit down with Parker and kind of pick his brain, get the feel for him. And, you know, just a wonderful crew. You know, when I think of the All Low crew, I hear the laughter. I, I feel the hugs. You know, it is just a group of really wonderful humans that are pushing the boundaries, you know, making music that I believe really matters. So Park Breezy and the Allo crew, you know, they are on top of the world right now. Um, Park Breezy himself with the solo product just had a massive opening set for Of the Trees at Mission Ballroom to a huge crowd. It was really lovely to see. The Groove Sauce Boys, you know, that's going to be Park Breezy feel uh, process. They are opening at Red Rocks, which is just a dream come true for a project that's only a few years young and... You know, they're doing takeovers with Allo at Sonic Bloom. They just announced the Secret Dreams takeover. Um, sky's the limit for the Allo crew. So, again, we're so stoked to have Park Breezy on the show. Stoked to spend time with him. Stoked for you guys to get to know him a little bit more. 
Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to keep with our tradition on this podcast of using our guests, you know, when they're a producer or a musician, we're going to use, we're going to feature some Park Breezy music for our segue into our conversation with him, but we will be ending the episode with a Lotus track as a dedication to the tremendous loss uh, that that community is experiencing and on Chuck's impact on the band. And um, if it's all right with you, Wes, I did ask for your consent before we started the episode, but we would like to dedicate this episode to your grandfather, Wes, to the loss of Chuck and Charlie, and to everyone that is no longer with us. Uh, I grieve for you, Wes, and I grieve for the community of Lotus. Thanks, Elizabeth. And, you know, again, just sending all of our love we can out to the community, to, to whoever you are, you know, if you're affected by this in any way, or if you've ever experienced grief, you know the feeling, and Again, you're not alone, and we love you very much. We're really glad you're here with us. Oh, shit. What's that you hear? Brand new Park Breezy coming in your ears. Enjoy this unreleased, untitled tune from the man of the hour, Park Breezy. say you've been definitely having a busy start of the year as far as some of these announces go man like i mean we just got to talk about it red rocks yeah man jeez dude a huge one very big bucket bucket list moment kind of thing and yeah really excited for that really looking forward to it should definitely be a good one absolutely and what we're talking about if you aren't aware is the groove sauce opening set for the opia orchestra which is a very sick bill all the way through but it's just so cool to me, man, just to see that you, Joe, and Phil are just going to be up there doing this thing. And the Groove Sauce Project's pretty young, man. Like, your first show's at a roller rink, what was that, like two, three years ago? I think I just, somebody brought up the flyer for it, and it was, like, really crazy. It was pre-pandemic 2019, maybe, something like that. Wow. Uh, before things hit the fan, so, yeah, it's definitely a very young project, and it's really cool to see, you know, the support that we've had for it and how how far it's come in such a little little time you know it's uh definitely just a passion project that has you know caught the attention of a lot of people so it's really cool to see 
you know, what we are capable of doing, you know. Could you tell us a little bit more about the project and the kind of music that that you make and who is involved in the project for those that might not know? Yeah, so Groove Sauce is um, myself, Park Breezy, um, Joe Thought Process, and Phil, uh, also known as Feel. Um, And uh, the project started off as, um, you know, we were all living together as roommates uh, a few years ago um, and you know, all making music and all, all sharing a similar a, a, a space to create. And, uh, you know, it, it was, it's Groove Sauce is like the, the natural culmination of just collaboration when three guys are living with each other and just like everybody bringing their own skills to the table and, and how it, uh, just creation with your friends, you know? So it's really, it's, it was really organic. The whole project has been really organic. And yeah, like I said, it's just three friends making music together, you know? And when you say the skills that you brought to the table, could you tell me or could you tell us a little bit about the skills that you bring to the table for the project and maybe the skills that some of the others bring to the project? Yeah, I think um, everybody's got their own sort of uh, workflow when it comes to getting in the studio and making music. And um, I think collaboration in the studio is a very unique thing. It's like, you know, everybody has their own approach and first steps to creating and um I guess some of the skills that I bring to the table are just, I don't know. I, I feel like everybody has a different, like a, a direction that they're going when they're, when they get in the studio to create. And when you put three minds together, it's, it's like a unique thing. Cause like collaboration is, you know, it's, it's, you, you can collaborate with anybody, but to get a product that everybody's happy with is, you know, kind of a, a special thing. And I think, you know, Joe has his his funk soul sample based, pretty lights inspired kind of side, and Phil's got his Tipper esque kind of approach to sound design, and then you know I just like laying down jazz and and keyboard over stuff, and I think that is kind of like what the project is. It's like all of our inspirations meeting at a certain point. Wow, that's beautifully put. Could you tell me, or could you tell us a little bit more about like your jazz influence? I wasn't expecting to hear that per se. I mean, I've always been a big, you know, lover of jazz music. I think uh, the roots of that could be traced back to like my love for hip hop and my inspirations for, you know, like the hip hop producers that were making beats out of the early nineties. It's just like a lot of resampled jazz records. And then being such a curious person that I am is like, you dig back, you look at like, you know, what these producers that are so influential to me are sampling. And it's like, you know, classic jazz records and George Benson's and the list could go on. I can name drop, but it's, you know, that's what kind of got me hungry for it. Also, my dad was a big influence in my music taste growing up and he liked a lot of stuff. So being in a house surrounded by a lot of different stuff, you know, some things stick and then, yeah, it goes from there. But yeah, I think jazz is just something that I, I've always I've gravitated towards and just the, the self-expression that jazz musicians always had throughout history. And that's kind of something that inspires me, you know. Yeah, it's a good point because it is very personal music. I think the jazz experience where I think it took me a long time to really understand and kind of get into that headspace with jazz 
just because, you know, being a kid, you're kind of used to the more formulaic music that comes out on the radio. But then kind of learning that there are really no rules to any of it. And I think that's so common with, like, especially electronic music right now. Like, genres are slowly dissolving. Like, it's just becoming this, like, crazily amorphic and, like, rapidly evolving thing, like, every year. It, It really blows my mind. Yeah, totally. I think it's just such a freeform expression of of music, and uh, it's just something that I can relate to. Is when I like have a key in front of me, the things that come natural. I've been told sound jazzy, yeah. you know, and like you know chords that speak to me are are it comes from jazz theory and jazz music theory, and that's something that you know those are the, those are the things that I love. Those are the elements that I love, and I think those are also some of the elements that I try to bring to Groove Sauce as well. Um, when, just when I'm in the studio, you know, when I make it, when I write chords, when I like play piano, it's kind of like just minor nines and, and extended chords and, and progressions that are, you know, just catch the ear in a, in a certain way, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, like me listening to jazz music always has, is just something that catches the ear. Yeah, man. I mean, you definitely got the steez on the keys, brother. <laughs> I, I try, man. It's when I sit in front of the studio. That's what comes natural. Is just sit in front of a keyboard. You know, you just dabble around. You know. And I was glad you brought up your dad because I remember on your personal Facebook you'd shared a really cool story about the naming of Groove Sauce, and I was hoping you wouldn't mind just sharing that with our listeners because I think it, it was one of my favorite things. Yeah, totally. Um, I so my dad used to own a, a cafe when I was in high school through college. And uh, it was called the Groove Cafe. And um, he was, it was a, a very like open kitchen kind of thing where, you know, people would walk in and he would greet you at the front door. He's a friendly face. He had always music playing and he's always cooking something new. And he had a, a sauce that he would make, you know, for the house. It was called Groove Sauce. And it was just like the house hot sauce. And, um, it was a Fresno chili mango hot sauce. And it was kind of like sweet. What a treat. That was like his slogan for it. <laughs> I, I always loved the sauce. I was just a big supporter of it. I put it on everything. Like kind of like uh, use the thing like Frank's Red Hot, put that shit on everything kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, the cafe died down. He started, he kept making hot sauce. And, you know, I brought the hot sauce over from Jersey to Colorado and showed it to the guys. They were like groove sauce. What a name. And then, you know, when we were collaborating, it kind of uh, turned into the name for the project, which is, you know, pretty cool that they were into it that much to feel the need to name uh, our project after it. I think it was just. Yeah, it's kismet, man. Yeah, man. Um, shout out to your pops. That's a really cool story. Yeah, shout out to pops. Um, definitely. He's, he, you know, he's he's very influential in in my life growing up. He's back on the east coast back in jersey uh doing his thing but uh he hasn't he has yet to make another batch of the groove sauce mm. has he yet to see the groove sauce and actually no you know surprisingly my brothers have they've been out to see us at uh globe hall nice but i think another interesting thing about groove sauce is when he was making a batch he would always like put on an album and like every batch was made inspired by like an album that he was listening to mm. or something like that. And uh, I remember when I actually, I got it right here. This is the, the morning coffee groove sauce batch. He would bottle it like this. <laughs> and Whoa. 
Yeah, I keep it. This is the label. This is the OG label. Sweet with heat. What a treat. Sweet with heat. What a treat. That's sick. Yeah. I kind of just keep it in the studio. It's kind of like inspiration kind of thing. And But yeah, that was that was like the special thing with Groove Sauce. Was each batch was like inspired by something that he was listening to. So there was such a, a musical aspect associated with with what he was doing as well. So Yeah. I mean, listening to music and cooking up in the kitchen has always just been, like, the most, like, sensible place for me. It just, like, it always transport me away from whatever shit I got going on in my life. Like, in the kitchen, I'll throw on a record, let it spin, and then I'm chilling. Exactly, yeah. It's kind of like a special place where you can and just let go and just debrief from the day, cook up some good dinner, cook up some, some good lunch, whatever it is, you know. Mm -hmm. You brought up George Benson, which is an incredible drop. That's one of my absolute favorites. But is there a record that your dad played either while making Groove Sauce or just around the house that still really stands out to you? Um, I think like the first thing that comes to mind is like the Rolling Stones and um, artists like the Pink Floyd, like Pink Floyd and stuff like that. You know, it's those were the kind of rock music that it was always around in the house. I remember like road trips growing up and driving to vermont with my dad to go camping and he's like you know dark side of the moon kind of stuff and yeah those are the kind of memories that kind of stand out a little bit rolling stones grateful dead led zeppelin um pink floyd that kind of stuff so going back to what you were talking about with Groove Sauce for a minute, unless your question was related to that, Wes, was it? Keep it rolling, Elizabeth. No. <laughs> so when you were telling the story and I was thinking about like hot sauce and like how hot sauce can go with a lot of different things. A lot, you can put it on like a bunch of different kinds of foods. It's not just like it only goes with one kind of thing. Like I feel like the music that you make, the music that Groove Sauce makes, I think that it can exist in a bunch of different places I think it can be paired with a bunch of different di like you know if you're opening for someone like I I think you could be paired with a wide variety of people and have it still make sense yeah that's I don't cool I don't really know what like my question is with that but like when you with your approach to making the music music with the style of music like I just think it's unique in the sense that there's there's a lot of electronic music out there where I'm like, all right, this is I'm only ever going to hear this at a festival. I'm only ever going to hear this in the club. But like with Groove Sauce and like with your music, just as Park Breezy, even like the morning coffee stuff, it's like I can play that in my house. There's so much electronic music that I'm like, I do not want to listen to this in my house right now. You know what I mean? Totally. I appreciate you saying that. It's a very unique perspective. Um, I always like felt like my music wasn't like heavy enough to be like the festival stuff or whatnot and i the, the reaction i get to a lot of the music that i make is like oh i can clean my house to this and and you know study and 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 that kind of thing and i think that's really cool and unique that it translates to so many different people i guess because you know to me like making music is just like a way of self-expression and i'm just creating what comes naturally i'm not really like trying to go for anything per se you know um and I, I always felt like, like I said, like I always felt like my music wasn't like heavy enough to be on the, the festival stages. And it's, it's really like cool to have the opportunities that, that have been coming my way because yeah, like this whole thing has just been very organic. I'm just making music because it's, you know, how I debrief from the day and how I process what I'm feeling internally kind of thing, you know?
Yeah, you keep saying organic, and I think it's just, it's such an apt word for just, like, you as a musician, like, you as a person, and same with, like, the entire Allo crew, and, like, the love and support, like, when I moved to Colorado, you know, I didn't realize, like, y'all were, like, on the level that you're on in terms of, like, the community that's around your music, and it really took me by surprise, and then the fact that all of you guys are just, like, these really down-to-earth, really humble humans, like, making this music, I was just like, wow, like, this is exactly how it should be. And that's just, you know, I'm kind of trying to segue into something I was thinking about today where I think it's uh, our people today seem to pay like so much attention to music, especially in our little world of electronic music. And I just wonder as a musician, because you're obviously friends and fans of this music, like, do you guys feel that pressure from the community when you do have so many eyes on you? Or do you just feel that it's easy to kind of stay authentic and keep doing your organic thing through all of it? I think like I started off, it's just like, we're just three friends that are just creating and making music. Um, and I, yeah, there, of course there's a little bit of pressure, like playing Red Rocks is pretty huge. And there's like a little bit of anxiety leading up to it. And, you know, like we're all like, oh, we got to practice. And I think that we all feel it in our own ways. And um, I think, you know, just trying to do what we started off doing is what's going to keep us going in the long long run is just just remember that we're just three friends making music doing it because we love to do it and you know being surrounded by the friends that we love and the friends that support us the most and you know the people in our lives are like what make it worth it kind of thing you know is like to have friends that I grew up with my whole life like I'm from the east coast and I got friends that now live in Colorado and like one of my friends was able to see me at the Fillmore with Groove Sauce and she was just like blown away to be able to like see the impact that it can have. And um yeah, I just wanna I just wanna like keep keep it as 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 true to the roots as it is, is we're just good friends that just love what we do kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. And I also gotta just shout out like places like the black box in Denver and just it's just when you find a community of people that are like so supportive of what you do and just give you opportunity like shouts out Nicole over at the black box who's just always just gave us opportunities and and it's like we're so appreciative of that because that's that's the only reason that we are where we are is because of you know people like Nicole places like the black box you know communities that have been fostered in Denver and that we are just a part of, you know, it's, it's always like much bigger than just us. And like all is an extension of just the Denver community and friends being friends. Yeah. Shout out Nicole, like an absolute living legend. It's, it's really insane to see the impact she has made. Like I won't say single handedly cause it's obviously a big team, but just like what she's did with the black box and the culture and the community that exists. Cause there's so many different kinds of music that come through the black box. And like it all garners that same support. But when you guys tour, cause you guys are touring pretty heavily lately, you know, you guys are getting after it. Do you find that same sense of community in different pockets around the nation? Or what is it like for you guys when you travel? I think that is my favorite part about being able to travel because of music is seeing like, what other pockets are out there you know like you go to like st petersburg florida that pops up off the bat and i'm just like these guys are freaking awesome you know going to portland you know 
other side of the country, completely awesome, supportive community of people that are just pushing underground music and community. And, you know, that is like Sioux City, Iowa. Shouts out Miguel because um, Sioux Sound Collective is honestly doing something great as well. Like those are like people that, and Swamp Wolf are out of Chicago, you know, like these are places that like gave me and Phil and Joe opportunities to just like bring our sound somewhere new and they're also receptive to you know same kinds of stuff and it's it's just beautiful to be able to find that in other places I have a question about the community that you found in Denver though because I think what's interesting is that you know and we've had we've had the pleasure of having Phil on the podcast we've had the pleasure of Joe thought process on the podcast and like when you were talking about that, I, w- I remembered, I was like, oh my God, you guys are all transplants. Like you're from New Jersey. Like Phil is from upstate New York, I think. And Joe is from Maryland, I think. And like, can you talk a little, I just think that's so interesting that like you built community as transplants. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like how, like how you built it and also how you found it? Um, I think that's something that we all like connected on was just, I don't even know if that's true actually. We all met at the black box. Uh, I met Phil as a, okay, let me rewind. So I was living up in Boulder and um, I was like searching for that, like community, that sense of like belonging in to- Colorado, you know, and um, somebody mentioned submission and they were throwing shows at Cervantes at the time and um, black box didn't exist. So I reached out and got involved as like a stage manager or a stagehand, like interning um, during like E-Tuesdays over at Cervantes. And um, then the black box opened up. They got enough. Nicole kept progressing with her, her with submission and, and was able to open up the black box. And I remember doing the same thing over there, interning and kind of getting the workflow. And then Phil popped up one day. We met, you know, because I heard that he, there was another intern. And I was like, oh, who's this other guy that's working the nights that I'm not, you know? And um, we kicked it off one night playing music uh at the black box and our love for hip-hop kind of like sparked that and i think maybe that's rooted in being from the east coast as well um and then phil also knew joe through i think joe is doing um like street teaming and doing promo stuff and uh i remember going over i remember going over to joe's apartment and picking up a couch with phil and that was like the first time that i ever met joe and then I remember when Joe came over one day with a notebook and 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 piece of paper and uh, with a pencil and, and paper and was like taking notes on production and like trying to get into it and shouts out the black box honestly that was that's where we all met and looking for a a place to feel like you belong in Colorado like that's where I guess we all found and all gravitated towards and that's you know why we're at where we are is because literally because of the black box all meeting there and i don't think you know being transplants has much to do it with it but having similar interests maybe um because you know also marley tf mars is a big uh proponent in allo and the label and um he's also from you know the west coast oregon not even on the east side so it's like it's interesting how we all found each other i think it was really just like simple hip-hop being inspired by you know that kind of stuff damn but also like finding like electronic music in an underground music scene 
What was some of the first electronic music you got into? Um, let's see. You know, I've always been a big fan of like, okay, let's, let's go back. I think the first, so I have two older brothers. Um, they were, uh, four years, they're four years older than me. And my first like experience with electronic music was, uh, an excision show at the Best Buy theater when I was like six. And, um, I don't know. I was just a, you know, young headbanger at that time. And I, I remember, you know, my brothers were also into, into, you know, the underground scene in New York as well, being from the East coast. And there's this, um, company called reconstruct. They were throwing, uh, raves out of like warehouses in, in Brooklyn and stuff. I remember going with my brother to one of these events and, you know, just chatting with people being young, like 16, 17. And, um, that's how I actually found out about submission is through one of these events that my brothers brought me to when I was really young in Brooklyn. You know, there was somebody that was at one of these events and was mentioned submission and it just like stuck in my head. And that's why I, I kind of knew to like what to look for when I got out to Colorado. Um, but those were kind of like my first experiences with electronic music. Um, and then, you know, Bonobo, Pretty Lights, Emancipator, finding those on my own and kind of digging deeper and then uh, coming out to Colorado is just, you know, finding submission, connecting the dots, places, Red Rocks, you know, going to Lotus shows, um, STS nine, you know, Jamtronica kind of stuff. We like that around here as well. All good. Yeah. When you talk about the black box and you mentioned all those other cities that you've been like, uh, you know, just delighted to see communities in, it really just makes me think of like the importance of like a gathering space essentially. And like, it's really just, I am so curious about the scene in those other cities and like what gathering spaces or gathering space that they have for those kind of shows. Cause in, in my experience, just like thinking about, um, what the base scene looks like in the Bay Area. There's a collective called Wormhole. I would say, like, they're the primary ones. There's a couple other ones. But, like, for a while, like, they had all of their events almost at one venue. I think it was the New Parish in Oakland. And now they kind of pop between a couple different ones in San Francisco. And part of me thinks that's really cool, that, like, the venues here, at least, like, tend to, you know, it's not just, oh, this is where you go see house music. This is where you go see bass music. It's kind of cool to see, like, a bunch of different stuff. But I also kind of love the idea of, like, a singular place being like a gathering spot for for the community i think that's really special in addition to the to the music yeah so i we were i was in portland at north warehouse which seems like a really great spot that they have popping up and i think what it really takes is like a good sound system and a good love for bass music and you know people will find anywhere to gather um with those two things in mind um you know, going to Sioux City, Iowa, they 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 throw shows out of this place called Whiskey Dicks, and it's like a great little bar that supports them bringing in a sound system and just playing the music that they love. And then Chicago used to have Cairo Ale House, which was kind of like their place of gathering. And yeah, I just think that it takes time for these communities to build to the point where they have like that certain space. But you know, I think it's rooted in a love for sound system culture and a love for community. I think those kind of like pave the way for what comes after, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we love sound system culture. It's so refreshing just to see that it's becoming such a more 
a factor that I think promoters are even taking into consideration now. It's like booking shows that are going to bring in systems because a lot of house systems just ain't cutting it. You know what I mean? So it's really cool because I feel like it just adds so much more to the experience. And even if you like get rid of visuals completely, which is like another trend I'm curious to hear your take on, or these like no visual shows, but it's just like, I would rather have a great system because at the end of the day, like we're all here for the music Like the visual piece is amazing. There's so many talented VJs out here, but yeah, end of the day, like I need a system. Yeah, I um, yeah, I'm, I'm all about the visual artists as well. I mean, we got like a couple of great guys like Andre, aka Oswald, and and Griff, um, Spectrum One that are just you know pushing those boundaries of, of visuals. And I'm also a fan of of like the no visual kind of thing. You know, it's sometimes it's it's for the music, and you know, there's been special nights specifically at the Black Box where they do like blackout nights and the no visuals, just all about the sound and um. Even when I bring it back to like my first experience at these shows with Reconstruct in Brooklyn, it's kind of like there was no uh, like visuals. It was just Joe Nice and and Young Stub playing records in a grungy little warehouse, and it kind of like you know help, makes the vibe a little bit more intimate, I guess. Yeah, that's the, I think that's what it is. Like a lack of visuals makes it a little bit more intimate. Everybody's listening to the same thing rather than being distracted by, not distracted, but, but you know, focused on other aspects of what's happening in the club. Yeah, I think you see a lot of that in crowds too. Because like, especially for these tipper events where, you know, they're bringing like the best VJs out in the world. Like there'll just be so many people with phones out recording, not dancing. Because like, it's just like a whole other experience that you can have. Like, it's one of those things where I think it'd be so cool to, like, you could go to as either a blind person or a deaf person and just have the absolute best time either way. Totally. I mean, even, uh, like, I think back to um, um, playing at the Fillmore and, and not being able to see what, what's happening on the screen behind, but then, like, looking at clips after and being like, whoa, like, that is really, really cool what, you know, Jonathan Singer was able to do and kind of like it, there's, there's such a skill to being a VJ as well. It's like, you know, curating and complementing the music. Curating is a word that just triggered like I think you guys and by that I mean like the entirety of Allo curate such a specific mood and atmosphere. And I thought that your set at uh, the Fillmore opening for Jade or was it for Detox, I think Detox Night, right? Your set opening for Detox at the Fillmore was just so goddamn proper. Like, Elizabeth, these men roll up in velour tracksuits, stroll out on stage, and just play the swaggiest set of music I've, like, ever seen. Everyone, I was in the back of the room, like, and you could only just see a constant sea of people grooving. And then, yeah, having Jonathan Singer, again, Jonathan Singer doing some insane visuals behind you guys, like showing the decks from above, like hitting all these crazy angles. And you guys were just like, just crushing. It was it was one of my favorite sets of last year for sure. Gotta shout out um, Dave Veller for that and the whole Tipper team. And uh, it's, it's, you know, like their vision really came together and we're just honored to be a part of that night. It's really just a, a special moment that all of us are like, very just grateful for but yeah it's it was that was a fun one definitely a fun one i forgot what the question was i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't no, think it was a question. It, no, that, there wasn't a question. That was Wes just literally giving me a physical sensation in my body of FOMO. Like, I, know, I didn't know that was possible. And I literally feel like physical sensation. Like, holy fuck, I missed out. <laughs> These are the events where, like, it physically pains me that you're just not there, Elizabeth. And I'm like, ah, like, she needs to be here. <laughs> velour suit. Oh, the velour suit. Okay, so Joe is always pushing stuff. And Phil, they are always, like, like Hawaiian shirts or... <laughs> Or a tracksuit or, you know, something special and fun. And, you know, I'm like, all right, let's do it. You know, like, uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm here for it. And uh, I feel like I'm always a little resistant, but then it comes around and I'm like, you guys are right. Of course, you know, the tracksuits fit, you know, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's fun. Like, I feel a little bit more comfortable, even though we're like, are for me, like, I feel more comfortable being with those guys, even though like, I may not feel the most comfortable in a velour track suit i guess that's not my like normal swag per se yeah you fooled everybody in that room man y'all killed it and that's like it is a fun part because i forgot about your guys show at cervantes you guys were in like the hawaiian shirts and it was just like a totally different visual look but the music is still the same phenomenal product you know the difference i think for your set at Fillmore is obviously the sound system you know and it's just like that comes through in a Red Rocks, you know, they have a great sound system. So that is going to be such a treat. However you guys choose to look, I'm sure it's going to be fresh as fuck. I think Joe's been throwing around a couple of ideas, but you guys are just going to have to wait and see, I guess. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that'll be fun. I'm definitely looking forward to it as well. You know, whatever, whatever outfits uh, Joe and, and, and Phil and, the gang are decided because we actually had all the homies in the crowd like our, our our big friend group was all wearing track suits as well so it was like you know we're up on stage and my girl natalie she's wearing her little track suit that she got and shout out natalie she's a fucking gem man she's a definitely a gem grateful to have her a big supporter for everything that i'm doing and now, one thing I want to talk about, because we've been talking a lot about your collaborative efforts, you know, is in Allo and Morning Coffee and Groove Sauce, but your solo project's popping, man. You've got an upcoming show at the Mission Ballroom opening for Of the Trees, and I guess I'm curious, you know, it's like, you, you sound very comfortable, you know, being with the homies, and like, what is it like for you, the headspace of performing with them versus doing stuff solo by yourself? Does it kind of add, or does it make things a little easier for you, or what is that like? Um, I think that it's um definitely a unique thing when like i'm up there by myself i feel like, like it's all about feeding off of energy like whether you're a dj up there on, by yourself or like making music with your friends like um when i get up on stage and i'm playing solo sets it's kind of you know i want to like play the things that i've made that don't necessarily fit into a morning coffee or a groove sauce set you know and um that tends to be just more of a journey kind of thing where I'm like taking you through like the 140 stuff I make or like the dancey like 120 and 110 and stuff like that or and then down to the hip hop stuff and yeah my solo project is it's fun it's literally like, like I said before it's just a, like all the music that I make is is a an expression of who I, of like stuff that I'm feeling on the inside and having the opportunity to do it, it like play play it is is literally it's fun. Like I, I've always like had the aux chord growing up in high school parties and stuff. And like, I always just like playing music and it's fun that I've gotten to a point where I like enjoy the stuff that I'm making enough to be able to play it for a crowd. You know, it's DJing and rocking a party is, 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 is just fun. You know, like it, 
sharing new music. That's what I always loved is like sharing stuff that you probably never heard before, but almost sounds familiar and well, no pun intended. <laughs> That's the thing that I love about like, you know, the sample based side of my production is kind of like introducing something that's kind of familiar. This led to a question I had because I don't really know much about sampling, but like when you say introducing something that's familiar, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about like um, how interpretation relates to sampling. Yeah. That's if, a big one. if at all, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I assume you're interpreting the sample and like figuring out how to share it, but I'd love to just hear more, uh, whatever, how, whatever you think about that. Yeah. I think, you know, like, you know, growing up being surrounded by music, all of us were just like constantly exposed to like, you know, new genres, new sounds, new, new, new types, new art, you know, and that's what kind of drives culture. Um, and sampling has been at like the the root of hip hop culture. And like I mentioned before, like that's what kind of got me interested in jazz was like doing deeper searches. When you find a sample, then you're like, ooh, that sounds like something that tickles my ear. Like, what is it? You know, like um shouts out websites like who sampled who, where you can actually go in and find out what it is and you know do the digging. And I think when it comes to like the production, you know, the stuff that I'm producing nowadays, I try to like go back and find something that is like sparking a memory. Cause that's what music does for me is it like sparks a moment in time or, or, or like something to grasp onto. And I think that like just having that one aspect that just like brings me back to a moment in time you know is something that is also relatable to other people at the end of the day it's like you know when i like keep it cool as a vocal sample that's like actually brandy and that's the song baby like i think back to like you know just like the first time i heard that track and then also you know listening like having listening to it on the radio and then being like that has a, a feeling and, a, and a, that I kind of want to inject into the stuff that I'm producing, I guess. I can't wait. sample in there and somebody's like oh I is that from a moment in time you know like yeah like sprinkling in that little heavy dose of nostalgia in like already good music is just like always going to set the party off and it's really fun to hear those moments and I think that's my favorite part of sample music too is like all the different interpretations of it that can happen yeah that's it I think that's the special part about like being being able to create and having like all the you know, the tools that we have nowadays as producers is just, you know, it's endless possibilities of what you can do. And um, yeah, it's like really unique when somebody's like, I'm gonna throw this sample in. And when it works and like it resonates, like that's the most 
you know, like that's the coolest thing about it when it when it actually happens. you know be in the studio you know just throwing something in that you think will fill the space you know I'm having such an emotional response to this conversation right now because like I feel like it really is making me understand like the intention behind like so, so much of the music that I love because I never really heard I don't really understand what you know like the process behind sampling like what people are trying to do with it so it's just like really making me think about like just all of this music that I love and like what it must mean to them and to everyone that likes it and it's also making me peel another layer like of the name of this podcast off because like when you were like answering that question I was like this is everything that I feel like we're trying to do with the podcast in a way and like I don't know I'm just I'm having a really positive emotional reaction to this conversation so thank you for explaining it the way that you did <laughs> I think I, I'm just a very passionate person and like I try to inject that passion into like my art and the, the creations and like and you know having a space to just you know create is just being able to express that passion for other things in a positive healthy way I guess yeah man as Big Daddy Kane said ain't no half stepping <laughs> it's true that <laughs> wow now no you go I can't even form thoughts <laughs> <laughs> I'm just really curious like I'm a big fan of the music you make now but I'm trying to envision a scenario where like we're all in some someone's parents basement we're in high school DJ Park Breezy's in the cuts like what are you dropping, Selector? Like, what was your go-to <laughs> tunes in, like, college or in high school that you just know would set the party off? Weird stuff, man. I don't think I was ever, like, this is going to set the party off. It was always, like, <laughs> I had that hunger for, like, searching for, like, things that you've never heard before. And, um, you know, my brother's also a DJ in Brooklyn. He goes by Descartes. Shouts out Harrison. Um and he was always showing me new stuff and like that was kind of like what I tried to like aspire to be like you know like my brother was just a big influence on like my taste my style and when I when it came down to like having the aux cord I did my own digging and found some weird stuff like there was times where people were, were not into it the way that I was you now and I think that's just like the beauty of music there's so much and sometimes it does resonate and sometimes it doesn't and um i think i was trying to like show people excision back in high school and stuff <laughs> yeah that can, that can empty a room pretty quick depending on who's in it <laughs> exactly i don't know they, you know it takes some time for people to come around to like the electronic music stuff especially back in like 2011 and, and 2012 and stuff like that but uh yeah, I I always felt like because I had older brothers that were like influencing me, I kind of wanted to like, you know, show my friends and stuff like that and kind of bring a little bit of that around. Mm -hmm. So, do you have any ambitions to play at Lost Lands? Oh, <laughs> I I don't know, man. I heard Lost Lands is coming around to be quite the festival. I mean, I I'm was open say, to like they've been kind of opening it up. I think to like the more people in this realm where they're kind of letting more of the hip hop people and like less of the straight like. I don't want to call it bro step. I don't know what else to call it other than bro step sounds that, you know, that's, that's typically associated with. You bring up a good point. I think it's really cool. Like I had, you know, I'm playing Dance Festopia in August. It's like literally a bunch of, of music that's completely different than me and then me and late night radio. And I'm just like really looking forward to that, to be able to like, 
you know, show these kids something new and show these fans of of music and electronic music what else is out there. And I think, you know, I'm ex excited for the opportunity to just have my own space. I know, cause I know it's completely different. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's hard to like be surrounded by all these like heavy. But it's one of those things that I think you brought up earlier too. It's like, and I think it's come up a lot on this podcast. And even for myself, it's like, you don't know what you don't know until you learn about it, until you see it. And it's not always easily accessible for everybody. So it has to get brought to you. And at a place like Lost Lands, like, I think that's perfect. You know, like fucking teach these kids. Like, because all of them, like, just are so devoted to that culture and that fan base, and it's honestly incredible. Like, I know people love to rag on it, but, like, I have nothing but respect for him. Because, like, what he's done for that corner of the world is nothing short of a goddamn miracle. I mean, he's pushing his sound and, like, growing a community. And, um, like, at the end of the day, like, that's what music is all about, is, like, connecting, creating community. And feeling feeling like a place where you've belong you know and like it's that's where all the you know i don't want to call them kids but like that's where these people feel like they belong it's like places like lost excision shows and at the end of the day it's just it's all community at the end like people are searching for their interests belong with somebody else's and yeah exposure being being open-minded as well like to, to new things is what gets you you know, deeper down the rabbit hole of discovery. Yeah. And I think that's something that maybe they might remember because that's, you know, it, once they're exposed to you in these like spaces that they might not expect to be, because I feel like that kind of tends to be what I remember the most is like what kind of surprised me from events that I've gone to. It's not necessarily like the person I was expecting to see like, oh, like, great, like, I don't know, Tipper played a great set. Like, I'm obviously expecting him to play a great set, you know, but like, you know, the person, the sound that I wasn't expecting to see where I'm like, holy shit, I was exposed to like this whole new thing. And then it leads like me down this rabbit hole. Like that's, I think, I think that's such a great, that's going to be a great opportunity for them. And I'm also curious if like your opportunity to play on lineups that you aren't necessarily expecting to play on, if that kind of reflects, I think what you said earlier, Wes, about like the genres dissolving and that's like what you're observing in the scene in the scene today you know that's that's an interesting question interesting perspective like genres dissolving because you know i never knew how to like categorize the music that phil makes or joe makes or i make or tf mars like i i never really knew how to categorize it and that's why like having like a label like all low where all of us can come together and like just put it put that sound somewhere i think that's what's really like created the sound of all low is like all of us feeling like we make something that's a little bit different. And, you know, I think, yeah, people are, are today like a lot more open-minded just because of how much music is really out there and how many different artists are like pushing the, the boundaries of electronic music. Um, and that's what really has like gotten us to a point where like we feel comfortable releasing music the way that we are. And like also, just knowing that like yeah like genres are, are are fading it's not like about you know like i it's not like all about just loving dubstep or just loving elect, like hip-hop you know but being able to grasp onto all these little aspects of what you do love you know 
Yeah. And one, one question that's kind of been like percolating in my brain as we've been talking is like, you know how we were talking before about like the importance of like there being like a gathering space to hear this music. I wonder if gathering spaces um, are limited in some ways because they inevitably have to be like revenue driven, you know, like everyone needs to make money at the end of the day in order just to like pay rent. So some of this music, like all, you know, these genres are dissolving and like we're getting like more and more niche, which I think is amazing. But is there space for this kind of like niche music to exist in venues who have to prioritize revenue? You know what I mean? Like, I think there's a lot of, I was like, my friend was showing me like French progressive electronic music the other day. And we were like, where the fuck do we go to see this? You know, it's like, it's cause it's not really, I don't want to say it's not marketable because it's certainly appealing, but like it's. It doesn't necessarily make money yet, you know, like the way that like, you know, the club does. Exactly, exactly. I definitely hear that. It's definitely, um, you know, something that I think about. Um, I think you just need people that are, are, are willing to push the community aspect of things to keep it growing. Because that's the only reason that Denver has gotten to a place where it's at is because of, you know, people like Nicole who are throwing everything they have at like underground bass music to create a place, you know? And like, I, yeah, I know it's tough for a lot of promoters who are like, they want to make music, but it comes down to the fans that are down to support it as well. Um, and like, I'll, I'll, I like going out to shows. I like going to see stuff that I've never seen before. I'm, I'm one of those people that are like, you know, there for the community, there for, for, supporting this the new stuff you know and yeah it's got to be tough but at the end of the day people are gonna go out regardless i guess people are, people people want to see music you know and if they know a reputation of a venue then they're going for a good time at the venue and then being exposed to something new is what kind of may catch them and keep them coming back something like that Yeah. And I think this is where curation comes into play, too, because like, you know, figuring out how to pair music that you might not expect to see with like the music that might make the money that's going to like help them like hit their bottom line and just be able to like put on shows like but pairing music that they might not expect to see like that's that's a real skill. And I yeah, I think you're right. Like it's just it's the exposure and the method of exposure, the intention behind the exposure. Yeah, I mean, I got to give a lot of props to, like, all the promoters that are, are doing it because, you know, Olo started throwing shows um, and it was because of a place like the Black Box, you know, like, that's where we, like, helped create our community was just having the opportunity to, like, have a space where we could expose people to what we were interested in. And, you know, Marley, Marley TF Mars is a big, big reason that, you know, we were able to like throw shows the way that we were because how we met was he was throwing shows at your mom's house. Hadn't he had this little uh, event series called the curation series. And um, he was looking for local DJs in Denver and knew Phil through somebody. And uh, I was living with Phil at the time. So we were invited out to go do that. And um, yeah, like it, it takes people like, the Marleys of the world, the people like the Swamp Woofers that are like bringing in local talent to throw on a good show, just throwing on something new. Yeah, and I think you touched on it, man. I think that's why it really does work in Denver because 
even on a really micro level, like even places, you know, like the Meadowlark Lounge and like the couple other spots in Rhino, they're like small little clubs are always popping like every day of the week because people just like going to things. And I guess what I'd be curious about with you and Olo is uh, the label. Do you guys have any intentions, like maybe have your own space someday, or are you ever looking to throw your own festivals, or do you guys have any sort of visions like that, or I guess what are your intentions with the Allo label? I think it's right now. It's been really cool to see the opportunities we've been getting to do like Allo takeovers at festivals, like Sonic, and like all of us getting to share a stage like me, Joe and, and Marley are going out to Columbus, Ohio to do like an all low takeover. And I think um, that's where I see the intention going. And that's where that is what helps build that sound and ex expose people as us. And I think that's the special thing about it is, is I can, you know, do my thing. Marley could do his thing. Joe could like do his thing. But like when we all have a space, to, like, you know, hold down a block of time it kind of there's something special about all of us together i think that is what um is really cool to see is is i'm excited for the opportunity to you know travel with these guys expose different cities to like our vibe our sound um and the things that we're creating and i think that's kind of like the future you know next would be like holding down a stage at a festival and being able to curate the lineup for like a whole day or something you know with been friends that we also support um not just like the core members but people that we are also think are pushing the boundaries of bending genres would you mind sharing some examples of some of those people that you see out there today that are pushing genres um yeah there's plenty i mean we just released a little ep from call me nikki p um where we got another one from our homie lucid um and Darian is always doing his thing, aka Scarian. Um, and it's it comes down to just, you know, like also shout out the Rust because everybody on the Rust is just bending genres, pushing sound, and kind of we've always been a big uh we've always looked up to like what the Rust guys are doing as well, you know, I guess. You know, shouts out Malachi, who's you know, pushing sound. And also homies like rasp five who are rapping over the beats that we're making and finding that inspiration from hip-hop to like it's not just an instrumental now he's turning it into a rap song and like presenting that rap culture in sound system culture yeah i love that integration too you know like seeing him perform up on stage during back at submersion was really cool and i thought you know all of the collaborations that happened at submersion were pretty reflective of what you just described which is like sound system music, which is already, I think, a culture that's on the forefront that just continues to move forward in the like in the direction of progression, which is just like it's a really fun thing as a fan. And I'm sure it's got to feel that way as an artist because just like it really is sky's the limit. Like you can make whatever you want to. Yeah, I think like technology is like reaching a certain point where it's like hard to keep up with, and that's what's in like electronic dance music and sound system culture is like technology itself what are your thoughts on like ai being incorporated in music i think it's a tool just like anything else that we have at our fingertips right now and technology is like it's a tool it depends on how you want to use it how how it can be implemented and you know it's not gonna like i don't think that ai is gonna like 
take over the music industry you know like i think there's like producers are the heart and soul or like music itself or like what drives the music industry and like ai no matter how far technology gets is like it's a tool that's what technology is that's why we use a computer you know like um that's why we use a calculator it's it's a tool to help us and ai could be used in very unique and cool ways you know i've seen people on social media use it to like just be creative no i think calling it like a tool is, is perfect take advantage of it or don't but yeah i think at the end of the day like technology is never going to have the same soul that humans do like it's just not going to know like there's no way that ai could like ever replicate or i hope not but like the feeling that like just give me the night by george benson could you know yeah seriously that head has just been in my head ever since you brought it up earlier and i love it yeah i remember playing that one out actually at the roller rink with the guys that was like (sighs) just straight up or do you have a flip of it we just played it straight up. We were just doing. We was like, uh, "Had a boy." Man, I think we should definitely, you know, do groove sauce at a roller rink again. This is literally a roller rink. Five minutes by my house, boys. Come through. City, let's do it. <laughs> Catch me on the sidelines. I don't know how to roller skate. Sorry, I'll be there, but I'll be not on the. <laughs> dance yeah, I've never done the four wheel thing either. I'm just assuming I could do it, but it probably end poorly. You know who's really good at that? Cat Joe's girl. Shout out Cat. I can't do that either. I'm a I'm a skier. I like to ski, so like I think the rollerblading, skating kind of thing is like I would think it would translate. It does a little bit, I think. Yeah. We should go test it out. (laughs) So with skiing, I'm curious, man. What other hobbies you have outside of music? What else fills your cup? Um. A big skier, love skiing. I love uh, playing basketball, shooting hoops, getting outside, reading books. Um, what you been reading? You know, I just I just picked up um, a copy of uh, well, I think it was like last night a DJ saved my life or something. I have like that, that book. Yeah, yeah. Just getting into it and just cracking into it and kind of like un- uncovering the history of the disc jockey kind of thing. Mm. Oh yeah. I also just picked up um, the creative. What is it, the creative way by um, Rick Rubin? Oh, nice! Yeah, Joe said he's reading that book. I'm waiting to borrow that from him. That's a really good book, from what I've heard. I'm saying it like I've read it, but I just love Rick Rubin. I listened to a podcast of him and Malcolm Gladwell, kind of dissecting what the book's about, and really, really eager to sink my teeth into that one. Got like you know like ADD, so it's hard for me to like stick to one book at a time, and like that's why I like you know you know, uh, historical based or in inspirational stuff, because it's kind of like, I can pick up what I need at the time and then, you know, kind of move on to the next thing. And it's just like my ID, my ADD brain, but, uh, like be more focused and take more time to just like set aside time to read, just, you know, debrief that way kind of thing. That's nice. I try to do the same, but it doesn't always pan out. Natalie brought me to get a pedicure the other day, and I brought a book, and it was really nice. So, hey, that's a power move. Showing me something else to help me, help me relax, you know. But um, yeah. Outside of that, reading, getting active, you know, love shooting the hoops, getting outside, getting some endorphins rolling. 
Wes, are you a skier? Do you like skiing at all now that you're out here? I grew up skiing here because uh, I'm from Colorado. So it's like I had like the pretty typical upbringing of I think I was like three years old on skis. But I haven't since I moved back. I uh, I didn't at all when I went to Colorado or to New York. I like went snowboarding once on this mountain that was like the worst <laughs> mountain I've ever been on. And ended up like bruising my ribs that day. And just like really put me off to skiing in New York. So... I, uh, yeah, haven't done it since I've been back, but I'm, I, next year, I think I'm going to get a pass, and we'll hit it up. Definitely, we got to go riding together or something, man. Man, that'd be perfect. I actually grew up, um, you know, my family, they would always be like, let's go first. Like, instead of having a, uh, you know, getting a birthday present or, or Christmas present, they'd be like, let's go for a ski trip, you know, take me out to Colorado. Kind of where my love for Colorado came from is ski trips growing up and being able to ski and and then um yeah that's kind of what drove me to send it out west was the love for the mountains and skiing do you see yourself out here permanently or are you maybe think of relocating at any point well currently me and natalie bought a house out here so oh that's um, right i forgot about that but we always like you know it's funny we travel together a lot and I think one of our toxic traits is like every new city we go to together, we're like, yeah, I could see myself living here, you know? <laughs> East or further west or something like that. The world is our oyster. Amen. You know, I was thinking about that expression the other night for some reason. I couldn't tell you why, but like, what does it mean? Like, what does that mean? You just suck it? I don't know. I, I never tried dissecting it before. <laughs> I don't know why I was just like I that that like the phrase came into my brain and I was like, what the hell does that mean? You know, I'm curious and probably after this I'm gonna do some Google search and figure out the origins <laughs> of it. It's always real weird. Now we have so now we have our subject matter for either the for the outro, Wes. We'll 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 answer the question. We're all gonna go <laughs> so do our homework and we'll <laughs> Um the only the only other question I have for you is just um what are you looking forward to this year besides besides Red Rocks? Um, making more music with my friends, um, traveling more with my girlfriend and skiing with my family. <laughs> there you go, man. That's beautiful stuff. Well-rounded. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what life's all about. It's about doing the things that you love with the people that you love to do it. And yeah, everything else falls into place, I guess. Mm-hmm. like hit the applause track on that love it fireworks yeah i bet, I bet yeah i bet we can we can sprinkle something in there <laughs> i think we need more sound effects in this we don't i don't think we do that enough Hop on Twitch. those guys are always like throwing crazy sound effects i love it well parker man um thank you so much for coming on it's, it's always a pleasure to chat with you um like i've said earlier you know you were just always such a really true genuine organic human and it comes across as you're not on stage it comes across when you are on stage um keep it up like love the personality love what you guys are doing like shout out to the all low crew um you know if you're listening to this and for whatever reason unfamiliar i couldn't encourage enough to check out anything from anybody on the all low crew it's just good music I think that's why, you know, like Elizabeth brought up, you know, that it kind of can translate in a lot of environments. And I went to your Marijuana Mansion show, like in that sweaty little hot box. Amazing vibes. You know, seeing you guys at Submersion on the fucking beach. Amazing vibes. Like seeing you guys at Cheeseman Park. 
amazing vibes. You're just, you're good people making good music, and we fucking salute you, man. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for having me out. It's, it, it's been, uh, like, really awesome talking to you guys. It's been a great conversation. Yeah, I Have- loved it. Thank you. Seriously, thank you. Yeah, of course, brother. Well, I'll be seeing you soon, I'm sure, but if not, until the next time, be safe, man. Love you. Drink some water. Enjoy your wine. Tell Natalie we said hello. Love, love, love. Don't you worry, guys. I know everyone is dying to know the meaning behind the world is your oyster. So I looked it up before we recorded because I always do my homework. (laughs) So it's actually from Shakespeare. Um, And it first appears in his play, which I have never heard of. And I actually did my thesis on Shakespeare, um, The Merry Wives of Windsor. So that is where the world, it, the world is my oyster. The world is your oyster comes from. And that kind of reminds me of that excerpt that you read from uh, Mike Rumpel's letter to Chuck about um, honoring the loss by becoming more fully alive, more wild, more innocent, and more loving. Like, the world mm-hmm. is your fucking oyster. Like, Suck that shit down. Hell yeah. Let's do it. Hell yeah. You got to come back to San Francisco for some oysters, Wes. Hey, I would love some groove sauce on oysters. Are you kidding me? Uh, yeah, we got to make that happen. Sweet heat, what a treat. <laughs> Sweet heat, what a treat. And what a treat it was to have Parker on the show. Um, super excited for the future for those boys. You know, just like I said earlier in the intro, you know, I think the sky is the limit. Um, if you're not familiar, I think you will continue to get more familiar as they become a little bit more of a household name. But until then, you know, just catch them while you can because these boys are only going to blow up from here. Yeah, and tell your friends that you love them. Just, you know, after you hear this, I hope you just, like, maybe reach out to an old friend or someone that you haven't reached out to in a while and just, like, send that reminder text, like, hey, like, I'm thinking of you. Those texts, those, like, I'm thinking of you texts, you don't even have to respond, but, like, just I'm thinking of you because I love you and I value your presence in my life. I challenge you... Wes, I challenge you to do this, and I challenge everyone listening to do this. Send that text to a friend after this episode. I love it. This is good homework. Yeah, see? Mm-hmm. Scholar, I told you, ladies and gentlemen, Elizabeth Dreesen <laughs> is a woman of knowledge. And spreading <laughs> it and receiving it, we love it. And I love you. <laughs> I love you, too. Well, until next time, everybody, take care of yourself. Take care of each other. This has been Almost Familiar. We love ya. As promised, here is Flower Sermon by Lotus. A section especially where you can hear Chuck just going off. And wherever you are, Chuck, we love you. We miss you. Thank you for all the memories. Hope you and Charlie are together.